just to maintain the status quo of all the things that we had going on. And yet we're learning and having to learn because of our circumstances to live outside the box. I even saw a church not far from here the other day. They're having drive-in church uh, where folks are even honking their horns uh, to say amen. I didn't think that was a real thing, but actually is. Folks are honking their horn and amening, and it's a different time that we're forced to live outside the box because of our circumstances. But can I tell you this morning, as uncomfortable as living outside the box is, I believe with all of my heart that this difficulty is by the design of God. So often we see how God works through difficulty and how God changes us through adversity. And I believe, as we'll see in today's message, that serving God outside the box has a tremendous potential to change what's on the inside of the church. So this morning we're going to look at the message entitled, The Church Outside the Box, and we're going to be looking at the specific subject of how adversity in the church can lead to the advancement of the church. I believe it was Wednesday night, I mentioned to you the song, In Times Like These, by Ruth K. Jones, and we say, in times like these, you need a Bible, you read one of the verses of that song. And we go to the Bible for comfort, but I believe we can go to the Bible this morning, particularly Acts chapter number 8, and we can not only just find comfort, but we can find a comparison for God of how God would have us to live during this time where we're living and serving outside the box. So if you look at chapter 8 of the book of Acts and verse number 1, the Bible says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And that's Stephen. At the time, there was a great persecution. Now watch these next few words. The Bible says, against the church which was at Jerusalem. Now we know the church at Jerusalem, this is the church that Christ began with his earthly ministry. And the church at Jerusalem was seeing so many good things take place during this time. They were seeing growth take place. We read in the early parts of the book of Acts, there was great fellowship and there was great unity in the church there at Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, this church was an exciting place to be at this time. As a matter of fact, we could probably go as far to say that the church at Jerusalem was really the hub of all of the church activities during that time. Now, although what was going on at the church at Jerusalem was a good thing, and although the fellowship was good, and all of the thousands of souls that were being saved was a good thing, the problem was so much of the efforts of that church were happening right there within the box of that church at Jerusalem. I'm going to show you this morning why that is not always a good thing. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is the problem with the box. The problem with the box. So much that was going on at the church of Jerusalem uh, was, very, was things we would admire. They are things, as a matter of fact, I think every pastor around the country would admire and would desire for his church that they would see such growth taking place, that they would see such great fellowship and unity taking place, and they would see such an excitement about what was going on in the church of that day. But here's the sad truth. Although there was great things happening there at that place, outside of the box at the church at Jerusalem, there was not a lot being done. And although there was a great need outside of that box, much of the activity, the organization, and the opportunities of that church were happening right there. And the church was limited to the confines of that place. Now here's what I want you to draw a comparison to this morning. I fear that today's church suffers from a very similar problem. 
I fear that so much of the efforts of today's church are confined to the comfort zone of our local congregation. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. I'm thankful for a congregation. Trust me, in times like these, I really am thankful for a congregation because it's kind of sparse in here this morning. And these poor people that are here this morning helping us keep all of this together, they're getting a concentrated blast of the message. When you have more people here, you can dilute it among greater numbers. I'm thankful for our congregation. But sadly, in America today, the majority of the efforts of the church are confined within the comfort zone of our local conver- uh, congregations, and there's a great need for what is happening inside the church to get outside the box of the church that we might reach others with what we have. And so, even, thing, even though good things were happening and great things were going on, there was not a lot happening outside the box, and that's what the church was intended to do. Matthew chapter 5, I want you to turn there with me this morning because there's several verses that I want you to see uh, that are going to help us understand the problem of staying inside the box and how being limited to the confines of our congregation does not fulfill our calling. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14, you know this verse well. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Now I want you to notice something this morning. The Bible says we as the church, God's people, we are the light of the world. And the purpose of that church is to give light to the world, to give light to those all over the world. But sadly, some of the brightest light that we shine for the cause of Christ happens right here within the four walls of our church. Sadly, some of the greatest works and some of the greatest witness that we are for Christ happens within the confines of this building. And yet the Bible says that we're not just the light of this room, that we are the light of the world. And sadly this morning, so much of the light that burns the brightest is burning the brightest underneath the bushel. God did not intend for the most and the majority of the work of the church to happen in the four walls here. God intended for this place to be a training place, a proving ground to go out from here and be the light of the whole world. But unfortunately, so often our greatest works are done where it is needed the least. You know, it's easy to be a witness here in church. It's easy to talk about God here in the church. It's easy to look right and dress right and talk right, right here in the church. But this is where it's least needed. Where its greatest need is, is out in the darkness. Give an example this morning. If I were to come in here and, uh, boy, how cell phones have replaced so many utensils, haven't they? And on our cell phones, we have flashlights. I have one right here. And I could come in here this morning, and I could use this light uh, while I'm reading the Scripture this morning, and I'm sure it would be of some help, and it would be some type of a blessing, but really it would do little good in here. Why? Because there's a lot of light shining in here already. If I want this flashlight that's on my phone, which I use more times than, uh, than flashlights oftentimes, if I really want to get a lot of use out of it, I must take this light outside the area where the light is already shining and take it into the darkness, and that's where the difference will be made. But sadly today in the church, so much of our light that burns bright burns under the bushel. And we're not, notice verse number 16 in Matthew 5, we're not letting it shine. 
We are keeping it here. Think about uh, maybe a dog on a leash. I think we've all probably walked dogs before. I've told you I had a 200-pound St. Bernard by the name of George, and I took him for a walk one day, and before it was over, he was the one that was walking me. Uh, I was holding onto the leash, and he was pulling me and wanting to go, and he led me all up and down uh, the road where I was walking him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. He wanted to go, and he wanted to run, but I was holding him back and not letting him go where he wanted to go. And so often that's the case with our light. So often our light shines brightest in the church where it's needed the least. And the Bible says we've got to let our light get outside the box of this church. We complain about the world and how dark the world is and how bad things are in the world. But the reason the world is as dark as it is today is because so much of the church is trapped underneath a bushel of the box of our local congregation. If we want God to work, God's going to work through his people. If we want the world to see the light, we've got to be the light. But the problem is the church is too comfortable inside the box to let the light outside the box. And so much of our efforts are concentrated in the area where it's least useful. This morning we have lights on all over this building. I should have taken the time to count all of the lights on the candelabras that are hanging from our ceiling. And we have spotlights that are up here, very bright and very hot at times. And we have these can lights that are up here. A flashlight would do little good in this place this morning. But oh, how good a flashlight comes in handy when you're walking through the woods on your way to your deer stand or you're looking for something that you lost. How handy is a light in the darkness and how handy in times like these would the church be if we just got out of the comfort zone of the box of our local congregation to go out into the world and be the light that God called us to be? Several years ago, I was in Daytona, Florida. And I say several years ago, my wife jokes with me often that time is very irrelevant oftentimes. And this was when I was a teenager. This was before we even got married. Uh, so it was many years ago. We've almost been married 15 years now. And I went to Yellowstone, uh, not to Yellowstone, I've been to Yellowstone, but it has nothing to do with the message. I went to Daytona, and while we were at Daytona, we took a tour around the track, and it was just amazing. I've never been into NASCAR that much, but it was really neat to see and hear about a lot of the facts that were there. And uh, one of the things that was stated was, back in 1988, or I believe it was, uh, they put lights around the track for the first time. That way they could have night races. And obviously a 2.5-mile track and a grandstand that will hold over 100,000 people would need a lot of lights to be able to display the races that take place there. Here's what's interesting. It was 1998. I have the stats right here. To get the lights up and going, it would require 3.5 million watts of power per hour. In the lights that were put up around Daytona International Speedway, there was uh, 2,600 square feet of mirrors in those lights. 3.6 billion candle power, 350 lumens of light, 430 infield and pit road light poles. It's the equivalent to the power needed to light 24,285 blocks of residential streets. But here's what stuck out to me. The lighting... In Daytona, around Daytona International Speedway, if you were to take those power poles and spread them as far as their light would reach, you could walk from Daytona, Florida, the track in Daytona Beach, Florida, all the way to Chicago, Illinois, and never walk in darkness. 
Now imagine that if they just spread the light out a little bit, you could walk all the way over 1,200 miles from Daytona International Speedway all the way to Chicago, Illinois, and never walk in darkness. But here's something that you need to allow to stick in your mind for a moment. All of those lights are congregated in an area that lights 2.5 miles. Rather than being spread out to light 1,200 miles, they are concentrated and congregated in an area that only lights up 2.5 miles of track. And is that not a good picture of the church today? We've got all of our lights concentrated and congregated in one place, and oh, how much light they could give. 1,200 miles of light that people could find their way and not walk in darkness, and yet we prefer to allow our lights to shine right here in our local congregation, and that's it. We don't let our lights out, and that's why our world is walking in darkness. The church is content to shine in one area inside this box. Now, folks, listen to me. I want you to come back when it's time to come back, all right? But we come in here to get our lenses polished up a little bit. So when we go back out into the world, we shine so much the brighter. But if we're not, a, if we're not willing this morning to get outside the box, get outside of our comfort zone and let our light shine, I hate to tell you, our world will remain in the darkness that it's in. Back in Acts chapter number 8, we read about the church at Jerusalem. The problem was the church was staying at Jerusalem. Folks, I'm thankful for Central Baptist Church, but sooner or later, the work of God has got to get outside the four walls of Central Baptist Church. What God is doing in this place has got to grow beyond this place in order for us to fulfill the commission for which God has left us here and for which we are called. But Jerusalem was the comfort zone of their Christianity. Jerusalem was the place where the majority of the people were. Jerusalem was a place where good things were happening. Jerusalem was a place of excitement. Jerusalem was a place that if you had the church that you could pick to go to, that's where you would want to go to. But the problem was it was confined to Jerusalem. And I believe that's our problem this morning. I want you to understand, look, I'm human like you are. And I want you to understand that I understand the feelings of what it's like to stay inside the box. I like to stay in my comfort zone. I would rather preach to a full auditorium of people than to stare into that little bitty camera that's on my laptop to do morning devotions. I mean, it's just weird. It feels strange. Look, I can be in my office with both doors closed and nobody else on the property, and I still feel weird preaching into a camera. But can I tell you something? I believe God's using this opportunity to get me outside of my box. He's trying to help me be more of a witness outside of the box than I am inside the box, but it doesn't feel good. Can I tell you, it's easy to let our light shine in the box this morning. It's easy for us to come in here and shout amen and raise our hand and sing praise to God in here. Why? This is where the crowd's at. This is where the majority of people are doing that at. It's easy to come in here and talk a good game, but it's out there that we make the most difference because out there is the darkness that the light has got to be let go to. Now, I want you to give you an example I think you'll remember very well. If you remember Peter when the mob came to arrest Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, oh, how Peter was bold and how Peter rose up and how Peter drew his sword and swiped off the ear of the, of the soldier that had come there to take Christ. What boldness he had. But not too terribly long later, we see when Peter has been separated 
from the group and the crowd and from Christ. And as Christ is being led away, and Peter is asked, was he one of those that was with Christ? And Peter denied him three times. Can I tell you, I'm sure it was a blessing to see Peter rise up in his boldness and confront the soldier that was there to take Christ. But I'll tell you, Christ needed him most when they were outside the garden. Christ needed Peter most when they were outside away from the group. That's when Christ needed Peter to step up most. But the problem was Peter was content to remain in the comfort zone of what he felt was good for Peter. I believe that's where we're at today in the church. And yet I I would challenge you to go through the pages of this book and find how many people did anything for God that were not called of him sooner or later to step outside the box to get outside of their comfort zone. Wasn't it Moses or Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where God told him, I want you to get out of thy country and from thy kindred. He says, from thy father's house. Notice the personal pronoun of thy. He's saying, look, Abraham, I'm calling you outside of your box. I'm calling you to go somewhere beyond your boundaries. And oh, how God used Abraham, but he used him outside of the box. And our problem this morning is we enjoy the comforts and the concentration of being inside the box. And that's why the world yet sits in darkness this morning. Listen, if we're going to remain in God's will, I hate to tell you this. Sooner or later, for you to be effective and for us to be the church that God is calling us to be, sooner or later to remain in God's will, you're going to have to get out of your box I believe if you would ask Nehemiah and you were to ask Esther and so many other, look at Daniel, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when did God work? He worked outside the box. So number one, notice the problem with the box. The problem with the box is so much of what was going on was staying right there within that box. But the truth is, as good as things that were going on, the need was outside the box. That's where the need was at. The need, listen, there were plenty of preachers there. The apostles were at Jerusalem. There were thousands who were saved on the day of Pentecost there at Jerusalem. There was a great need outside the box. And so God was going to have to get some of his people to get outside the box in order that his will might be fulfilled. So notice, if you will, in verse 1, you'll see the catalyst that was motivating their move. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad. Now notice that. The Bible says there was a great persecution. There was a Jerusalem and they were scattered abroad. Here's what God did. God started heating things up a little bit in Jerusalem. God started taking Jerusalem and making it a little bit of a burden for them to bear to be a believer. The Bible says in verse number one that that persecution scattered many abroad. Can I tell you what's happening? God is getting some of his people outside of their box. And the second thing I want you to see this morning, when the church is outside the box, notice the purpose of the burden. Notice the purpose of the burden. One of the greatest ways to get people out of their comfort zone is to make their comfort zone uncomfortable. Think about that. One of the greatest ways to get people out of their comfort zone is to make their comfort zone uncomfortable. I remember as a kid, uh, when I was a teenager during the summer, I'd go work with my dad uh, in the summers to earn a little bit of money. 
And uh, my dad would come in, and here's what he would do. In the mornings, he would come in, and he would tap me on the toe, and that just meant get out of bed. My dad didn't believe in uh, these new ideas of begging your children to do things. He just demanded respect, and uh, it worked, and uh, as you can tell, it ruined my life uh, for that. And uh, he would tap on my toe, and if I did not respond, here's what my dad would do. He would come in the second time. He would usually tap on my foot and go make his coffee. Uh, if I did not get up while he was making his coffee, and I had timed it just about right, where listen to the coffee and hear the thing, to know when to get out of bed. But sometimes I just did not want to leave, especially in the, uh, in the summer and the winter. I didn't want to leave the comfort of that bed. So here's what he'd do. He'd walk in my bedroom. He would grab the comforter that I was under and snatch it off the bed. For some odd reason, when you lose your comforter, it feels about 32 degrees, doesn't it? It's just so cold, and you're sitting there, and you're bawling off, and you're trying to stay warm and conserve all the heat that you can. What was he doing? He was trying to motivate me to get out of my comfort zone of the warm bed by making my comfort zone very uncomfortable. Now, folks, could it be this morning... Could it be that the church has operated so well and so efficiently inside of the box, but inefficiently outside the box? And so in order for God to get us to leave the box of this concentration of believers and this comfortable place for believers, that God is going to make it uncomfortable in our comfort zone to make us and force us outside the box. I believe with all of my heart this morning. What God is doing is forcing us to do what we would not choose to do on our own. I read a quote years ago by Benjamin Franklin that concerned how to get people out of poverty. Benjamin Franklin said this about getting people out of poverty, and I want you to understand, it's politically incorrect, but it's truth. He says, I'm for doing good to the poor, but I think the best way of doing good to the poor is not making them easy, making it easy in poverty but leading or driving them out of it. I observed that the more public provisions were made for the poor, the less they provided for themselves. Light bulb. I hope, I hope some politicians are listening to this. And of course, became poorer. And on the contrary, the less that was done for them, the more they did for themselves and became richer. He says, if we desire to help men out of poverty, we must make them uncomfortable in their poverty. Can I tell you, this is why the welfare rules in America are overloaded and so much of our tax dollars that you're going to write a check for in just a few days and the weeks to come are going to supply those who have no desire to work and make them comfortable in their poverty. Can I tell you, that's not the answer. The only way that we will find motivation to leave a situation is for that situation to become uncomfortable. I thought of something last night, and I looked at my phone, and I found the picture. I love it. Uh, when you think of something, and you think, I think I took a picture of that. And I am a picture hound. I'm taking pictures everywhere I go. And we were in New York City. I guess it was about... Uh, my goodness, about five years ago, my wife wanted to go see the Rockefeller Christmas tree for, uh, for our 10th anniversary, and I took her and my daughter up there, and walking down the streets of New York, just being classic tourist. Uh, you know, we don't get to do that around here, so I was going to be a tourist taking pictures, and I saw something that for just a brief moment confused me, and I have a picture that I'll show you here. Uh, I saw a fire hydrant, and this fire hydrant had a crown on top of it. And I'm thinking, man, New York, they're fancy. They put crowns on their fire hydrants. I mean, you know, they are surely uptown when you put a crown on your fire hydrant. And I was talking with a gentleman about it, and I knew it wasn't a crown, but I wasn't quite sure why it was there. And here's what the gentleman told me. He says, we have a bad problem of people loitering. 
people hanging around the fronts of stores and scaring off clientele. And so here's what we did. We put these spiky things on top of the fire hydrant to keep people from congregating and loitering and sitting on them. Can I tell you what New York City uh, learned that they should try in their social programs? They learned if you don't want people to stay in that area very long, make it uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you, just from the looks of it, it was very, I didn't try it out, but very uncomfortable. Uh, I had no desire to go and sit there, more or less to stay there. Why? It was an uncomfortable place to be. I believe what God's doing right now in our church, God's making things uncomfortable. God is allowing this time, and by the way, this is no great persecution we're going through, but he's forcing us outside the box. He's made us leave the building, and I believe this morning what God's doing, he has a purpose in this burden, and the purpose of God is to get some light outside the box to shine in the darkness. Folks, I believe this morning, if we would just go be outside of these walls, what we are on the inside of these walls, you would see a different America. But our problem is we love living inside the comforts and congregating inside the box. I read an interesting story, uh, I think it was uh, this past week, as I was preparing for this. And there's a, a Burger King in San Francisco where, just like in New York, they have a bad habit of loitering. That Burger King has been robbed on numerous occasions. People have been accosted outside the doors. The workers have been harassed. Drugs are being uh, dealt right out there in front of the building. And so they tried to figure out how do we get uh, people not to loiter without having to pay a full-time security guard. They went to some psychologists. They spoke with them and asked them what they thought and did the research. And they came up with a conclusion that's going to make some of our people gasp. I know that because you're music people. Ms. Evelyn, you're probably going to gasp over this. They learned that when they started playing the music of Bach and Vivaldi outside of the Burger King, that the type of people that were prone to rob and loiter and uh, accost people could not stand it so much that they quit loitering around there. Now, the sad truth is that they considered Bach and Vivaldi and good classical music that's relaxing the most. They could not stand it that they had to leave the area. Listen to the results that took place uh, because of what they did, the measures they put in place. It says robberies were cut by 33%. Assaults on the staff of the restaurant were cut by 25%. And vandalism was cut by 37% in just 18 months. What happened? They made that area unbearable for those that would consider that type of music unbearable. And folks, I believe, listen, this is what God's doing right now. We've all been forced outside of our box, but I believe, is, listen, this difficulty is by design, and God has a purpose in the burden that we're bearing right now, and God is forcing us outside the walls of this building to be the light that we're supposed to be to begin with. I believe, as the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse number 11, the Bible talks about how the eagle stirs her nest. Read it sometime. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 11, the Bible says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, and beareth them on her wings. What is the eagle doing? What is it talking about right there? Beautiful picture of what we're trying to preach on this morning. The eagle will build her nest high in the rocks. Rocks are rough and rocks are jagged. And rocks are not the, the greatest environment to lay eggs in. 
And so the eagle will go and gather sticks and begin building her nest. And when she's built the framework of the nest, then she will come back with feathers and fur from animals that she has killed. And she will line the bottom of that nest with the feather and furs to make it a nice, comfortable, soft place to lay those eggs. After the little eaglets are born, uh, the mom keeps them obviously there in their nest and she feeds them. She goes out and she gets flesh for them and brings it back to them. And so it's just a really cushy situation, literally, for those little eagles. They're sitting in a nice, comfortable nest. They're growing. They have room service delivered to them. I'm going to tell you, free meals and board. Uh, I'm going to tell you, that's a pretty good life to have. That's why I didn't get married until I was 25. I had a nice, comfortable place to live, great cooking for my mom. Hey, why would you want to leave that? And unfortunately, we see that happening on a grand scale uh, with college graduates today. But here's what she does. She watches her eagles. And she says, you know, I, those eagles are getting their, their, their feathers. Those little eagles are getting their feathers. And they're getting to the place where it's time to fly. And so here's what she does. She goes down into the nest and she begins pulling out the, the, the padding and pulling out the fur and pulling out the, uh, the nice soft things that they were sitting on. And now those little eagles are sitting on rough limbs and sticks that are poking their backside. And, and those little eagles aren't comfortable anymore. What is she doing? She's stirring her nest. Why? She's making their situation uncomfortable. She's changing the circumstances of which they were used to living in comfort, free meals, and free from the threat of ever-looming gravity. I mean, I wouldn't want to get out of the nest either. either. And what she's doing is she's making them uncomfortable so that they can do what they were designed to do. And they were designed to fly. Can I tell you this morning, I believe God is making our nest uncomfortable. I believe God is heating things up a little bit in our Jerusalem. God is heating things up so that we will leave the confines of our box and go do what we were designed to do. And what we were designed to do is to be the church and to be the light. And sometimes I believe we have to be driven to do what God could not direct us to do. Sometimes we do not heed the wooing of the Holy Spirit and the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of God's Word. And when we cannot be uh, led by the Word of God, we have to be driven oftentimes by persecution and by difficulty. The Bible says in Psalms 119.71, David says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. I want you to listen to the rest of this verse. The Bible says that I might learn thy statutes. David says it's good for me. Oh, can I tell you, it's going to take an extra dose of spiritual vitamins this morning to be able to recognize that even though this has been difficult, even though this has been odd, that this has been good for us, that we've been afflicted. Why? So that I might learn something from it. God was teaching his church the importance of living outside the box of the concentration of the believers that were there. God was teaching the church to learn to live outside the box of their comfort zone and to just go be what they were designed to be. And David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I hope we're learning a lesson this morning on who God would have us to be and who God has designed us to be, and that's the church. Psalms 105, we read where the Bible says, For he called, moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. Now we're speaking about how God was leading his people to go into Egypt. 
How do we know that? Because verse 16 in Psalms 105 says this, or verse 17, the Bible says, he sent a man before them, even Joseph. So here's what God did. God allowed the famine to come. I believe the Bible goes on to say that he broke the staff of the bread. God cut off their supply. God cut off their sustenance. What was he doing in the difficulty? God was trying to lead his people somewhere. And he did it through difficulty. Why? Because we, as just like them, oftentimes get comfortable where we're at. And God has to heat things up in persecution to scatter us just a little bit. Look down, if you will, to verse 1. I want you to see that exact word. The Bible says... There was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. Look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Turn to your right to chapter 11 real quickly. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse number 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Notice three times the Bible says that God used persecution to scatter his church to accomplish his will. Here's something beautiful you need to understand. The definition of the word scattered is a Greek word, disperio, disperio. It's where we get our English word disperse. And here's the neat thing about that word. The word disperse means to sow as a seed. What was God doing in the persecution? There was a purpose in the burden they were bearing. There was a reason behind the difficulty they were going through. God was scattering them. God was dispersing them. God says, I've got to get this witness outside of these four walls of the box at Jerusalem. He said, I've got to get this witness out where it can do some good. Listen, having some seed is great. Around hunting season, all the men go buy their food plot mixes, and they have a great big old bag of winter peas and winter wheat and ryegrass and all of those things. But it does little good if the seed remains inside of the bag It's got to be scattered. It's got to be dispersed, though. It's got to be dispersed. It's got to get out in the area where it can get into the soil and grow and produce fruit. And what was God doing with his church? In Acts chapter 8, he was getting them outside the box so that he could sow them as seed. Could it be this morning that God is using this difficulty to get us to serve outside of our box? Because that's where we were supposed to be serving all along. What's sad this morning is this. So many people, I really believe this, and it's a sad truth, they believe that this should be the epicenter of their service to God. I went to church on Sunday morning, or I did God a favor and went on Sunday night, or I was a real good Christian, and I went on Wednesday night as well. So there I am finished with my service. Can I tell you, we've got it all wrong. This is the place that we come to learn how to serve. This is the place where we come and get equipped in order to serve. But the service begins outside of these walls. We've got to send forth laborers outside of the box that we're living in, the comfort zone and the concentration of our fellowship in order to be sown that we might produce fruit. Now, Folks, if you will think about this just for a moment, I'll give you the last thing in just a second. If you'll think about this just for a moment, God has always been a very unique creator on the ways to disperse seeds. You talk about outside the box. Our God has, uh, has been front and center on showing us examples of how to sow seeds outside of the box. So what do you mean? Think about dandelions. 
my daughter, I don't know if we've done one in a while, but you pick up those dandelion, those little things, and you pick that up, and you go out there, and you, and you blow it, and it just seems like a fun thing to do, but those are seeds. God designed those little seeds to have these unique little parachutes that they can be picked up and carried by the wind and plant dandelions all over your yard. What a blessing, amen? To just scatter them. I want you to think about this morning how oftentimes a body of water that has never been stocked with fish, and yet you'll go down to these small watering holes or go down to these just ponds that have been created by overflow of water and rivers, or, and you'll find fish, and so often those fish have been carried there by a bird who has stepped in or frog eggs and carried them from one place to another. God has found a way to disperse the seed. I think about here in the south, we are in the pine belt. And how you go out there and you look up at our pine trees and the wind begins to blow on the pine cones and here come those little, I don't know what they're truthfully called other than seeds, but they're whirly birds. That's what we call them as kids. Little whirly birds are coming down. And the wind will carry them this way and the wind will carry them that way. And every one of those little seeds is capable of reproducing a pine tree. God's finding ways. We walk through the woods during deer season. We come out and there's all of these little green things stuck to our legs. We call them hitchhikers. Do you know what they are? They're seeds. They're seeds. Our God designed a magnificent way for seeds to be dispersed. And I believe this is what we see in Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1. God is dispersing the seeds of the gospel, but he's using persecution, adversity, and difficult to do it. The last thing I want you to see is really the best part. As good as things were at Jerusalem, they needed to be outside the box. God used the catalyst of persecution to get them outside of their box. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse number 3. The Bible says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Right after the death of Stephen, my personal opinion is that Paul was under great conviction after watching this young man die for the cause of Christ. And immediately after he died in verse number 60 of chapter number 7, we see Paul, I mean, just heating up and is vehement, making havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committing them to prison. God is making it difficult on the church, but I believe it's by design. I want you to turn back to chapter 11 one more time and we'll be done today. Next chapter number 11, the Bible tells us in verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now look down to verse 26. The Bible says that when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Watch the last sentence in verse number 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It's important we read this story all the way to the end because even though there was a persecution and a burden to bear, the last thing that I want you to see is the people that they became. The people that they became. You see, it was through the persecution and the scattering of the church 
that they became who we know them as and who we are known as today. We are Christians. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. Could it be this morning that God was refining them and defining them at the same time through their difficulty? God was refining who they were to become, and God was defining who they would be. They would be called Christians, and he was using that time of adversity and difficulty, that time outside the box of the comfort zone of Jerusalem. He was using that to define who they would be. Could it be this morning God's doing that with us? First Peter chapter 1, the Bible says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, might be, found, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that our trials of our faith, the difficulty, the times where we're outside the box, what is it doing? It's refining us and it's defining us. Folks, I believe this morning that God uses adversity to not only get us to where we need to be. What did he do with this adversity? He got them outside the box. That's what God's doing with us. He's getting us outside the box. We have to be right now. But through that and that adversity and the fire and the trial of our faith, God's defining, on, defining us and who we should be. Could it be that God has forced us to become the body of Christ by leaving the building that we oftentimes call the church? Could it be that God is using this adversity and this time that we're outside the box, the time that we're outside of this building to actually realize who the church is? I told my wife the other day, I believe there'll be a lot of good side effects come from this. And I told her in one area in particular that my heart has been burdened about is how oftentimes I believe we neglect our families in the family altar and family devotions. I told my wife the other day, could it be the only way for our men to become the faithful leaders of our home would be forced to become the spiritual leaders in our home. You think about it. You know, oftentimes we're reluctant. I even had a dad told me one time, look, I'm going to bring my son to you with questions. I'm going to bring my son to you when he needs to get saved. And I asked the dad, I says, why don't you do it? Why don't you be the spiritual leader of our home? Could it be this morning that the only way that God could restore the family altar was for God to make the family altar the only altar that we can come to right now? Could God be building the body outside the building? Absolutely. Could it be this morning that it was the only way for us to become a witness outside the church was to keep us from the inside of the church? To get us outside the building where our witness usually shines most on the inside. And God says, no, I need you to shine on the outside. We look in the life of David and we see before God would use him to become the David that we know, there were some times of difficulty with a lion and a bear before God would make him into the king. God used that adversity to make him into who he was going to become. And folks, listen to me. Let's not waste this adversity. God wants to take this time of difficulty, this time of obstacles, this time of adversity to refine who we are supposed to be. And right now, can I tell you something? When you're outside the box of these four walls, of the comfort zones of this congregation, people and Christians all over this world are really finding out who they are and finding out that they may not be who they thought they were because adversity really reveals our character. 
I heard it said many times that adversity doesn't build character, but it reveals that, you know what I wonder? I wonder what God is trying to tell us about ourselves. I wonder what God is trying to show us. I wonder who God is trying to make us. And he says, look, I, I, I can only make you who you need to be outside the box, outside of the comfort zone that you're used to. Perhaps this morning, too much of our service has been in the comfort zone of this box. Perhaps this morning, too much of our light is being shined underneath the bushel. And God says, I needed my light to get out. I believe our time is short. I don't believe we have long before the returning of our Lord. And he says, okay, I've got to pull out all the stops. I've got to get the church outside the box. Boy, we do a great job in here. We look good. We sing good. Uh, We sound good. But he says, I've got to get them outside the box where their witness will be and do the most good. I want to show you a map right quick we have back there. I want to show you where the gospel went after it was pushed outside the box of Jerusalem. Through the persecution, through the adversity of the time, God pushed them and forced them outside of the box to spread the gospel all around the world. And God's people became known as Christians first at Antioch, a church that sprung from the persecution after the death of Stephen. In way of invitation this morning, can I ask you, how much of your witness is done inside the box compared to how much of your witness is done outside the box? Can I ask you how much of your light shines in here where everybody else's light is shining and how much of your light shines out there? Could it be that God wants to use this time to force us outside of the box of this concentrated light and spread it out so that men and women all over our town and all over this world don't have to walk in darkness? Perhaps God is using this time this time of difficulty and time of adversity for some that might be watching this morning to realize that in times like these, you need a Savior. Oftentimes, it's in adversity that men begin to turn to God. It's oftentimes in adversity that men begin to look for a solution to the needs of their heart and the needs of their life. And for those that may be watching this morning from Central Baptist Church or maybe others tuning in from other churches, can I ask you this morning, do you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that if you died right now that you're going to heaven, that if the trump of God were to sound right now and he were to take his church home, would you be going with them this morning? Or could God be using this time of adversity? Could God be using this time uh, of a scenario and circumstances that force us outside of our comfort zone? Could God be using that to make men once and for all finally look to the God and the solution to their soul? I pray this morning if you're here and you're saved. For those that are tuning in and God's been trying to push you outside of your spiritual box. I want to encourage you to let him. Outside the box is where God's going to refine you. And define you into who he's calling you to be. We've got to let our light shine. If you're watching this morning and you've yet to trust Christ as your Savior, could I encourage you, allow this time of persecution and difficulty to cause you to look to the only sure solution, the eternal solution that you'll only find in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this morning the church has been forced outside the box. And I believe it probably will be one of the best things that have ever happened to us. If we'll just allow it to refine us and define us into who God is calling us to be. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. All of us are having to do things outside the box. All of us are having to do things outside of our comfort zone. But I believe this difficulty is by design. 
I believe God has finally got us to a place where we are having to be witnesses outside the walls because we can no longer come and be 